started drinking at an early age, and uh, then a little later in life, I found harder drugs. I didn't realize it at the time, but I had a gaping hole in me. Um, and now I've learned that that's my, we call that the God hole. Uh, I was trying to fill that hole with drugs and alcohol and anything to numb the pain. I moved away from home and I, I moved across the country in order to uh, chase the almighty dollar. And what that is, is trying to fill that God hole with money and material items. Um, it's what I was all about. It's what, it's, it was my sole driver in life was to get more money. And the more I achieved, uh, what was amazing about that was the more miserable I came. I was just miserable and unhappy and unfulfilled because I, I was chasing the wrong thing. My drug use and drinking grew and grew and grew and progressed until I started backing away from the business, um, not paying attention to what was going on and quickly things fell apart and failed so quickly it was like a snowball effect going down a hill. Uh, it was amazing how quickly it all came apart. It took me a long time and losing everything to finally figure out that that's not what it's all about. It's not what it's all about. Um, it's about love, relationships, and Jesus Christ. Not soon out of treatment, I was baptized. And it was just, it, I remember coming up, coming up out of the water. <clears throat> and it was just a wonderful experience. I truly felt like I was born again. Today, the most important thing is my relationship with God and the loving family that I have and the support that I have from them and the fact that I didn't screw it up and ruin it so bad and that their love for me is so strong that they're just happy I'm happy today. Today I serve on the tech team at West Cary campus. I'm grateful that, that I'm able to serve and, and I'll never, I can never not serve now. Uh, I get way more out of it than I ever thought I would. And I, and I wouldn't know that until I did it. I love stories of life change. That's why we do what we do here at Hope Community Church. And I know many of you have experienced that. And uh, through your relationship with Jesus Christ, your life has been changed and continually changing. And, and what an incredible privilege we have to share our story. So um, I got a chance to serve with Brad at the West Cary campus. And, uh, and he is just an incredible dude and making a, a great impact there. So um, well, we're glad you're here. This is uh, week two. As we said, we're talking about you at work in our, in our series here. Um, speaking of work, how many of you heard about the Pope this week? You guys heard the news about the Pope retiring? It was kind of shocking. I was shocked anyways. At first I was shocked that he, he doesn't listen to Mike's messages because um, Mike talked about retirement last week. And, uh, and so maybe, I don't know, maybe the Pope doesn't get the app. We'll uh, um, have to see if we can get that on his, on his phone. But, um, but I was also shocked too because who knew the Pope could retire? I, I, didn't know that was even, I didn't know that was even possible. So um, I guess it's, it's been like 600 years or something since the Pope retired. But, uh, but here's, we give you guys the inside scoop today. Um, this hasn't been released through CNN or anybody else yet, but we actually know who um, the next Pope is going to be, and, uh, and that's just privy to, to you because we trust you guys, um, and so we actually have a picture. Here's our, the next Pope. Um, 
We're just kidding. But Ray Lewis, he must have listened to Mike's message. He's coming back out of retirement, and, uh, and he's considering. Uh, we're just kidding. Um, but uh, we are, we're in this series, and, and today we're not talking about retirement, but we are talking about work. Um, last week, Mike introduced this series and, and did a phenomenal job and, and really kind of began to outline how important work is to God. And uh, he, he talked about a couple things. One, he talked about the, the fact that um, in Scripture that there is eternal implications to our work, that our jobs aren't just something that we kind of put up with and, and we'll do while we're here on earth, but, but that we will continue to work into eternity. And when God creates a, a new heaven and a new earth, that there will be jobs and roles and responsibilities. And, and, and so the work ethic, how we work here now is going to matter then. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, he talked last week about the fact that God is more concerned with how we work than where we work or what we do. He's not concerned with our titles or our jobs or how much money we make. He's not looking for a resume from us, but he is, he is looking at how we work and the effort that we put in, the attitude that, that we go about our job with. And, um, and then the last part he talked about was, was work ethic and how important it is um, as part of our character that, that work ethic is such an important thing. And, and Mike talked last week about um, Adam's first job. He went right back to the very beginning in Genesis and talked about Adam's first job in the garden as a gardener. Um, but I don't know if you guys realize that Adam had a second job, a second career. It didn't last very long. Um, but while he was in the garden, he was tasked with naming all of the animals. And he started real strong. He was very creative. He was kind of there. God said, okay, I'm going to bring the animals by. And so um, you just give them names. And so he brought the first one by. He's like, Tyrannosaurus Rex. And God's like, wow, that's two words. That's impressive. Good job, Adam. He brought the next one by. He's like, Hippopotamus. He's like, oh, good use of many vowels. That, that was great. And Rhinoceros, right? He started very strong. Um, but then Adam's work ethic kind of began to wane over several hours of naming animals. And he, I think he began to get tired. And by the end, he was just like, dog ant, right? God, he's like, God, what does that one do? He's like, it flies. Fly, right? And then the, the very last one, God says, the last animal right here, and he goes, useless, um, which in, has been translated from that original language to English now means cat. And, uh, and so that was, that was Adam's second job, but his work ethic wasn't good, and uh, so he, uh, he didn't last at, uh, at that. Today, today we're going to talk about balance. We're going to talk about how do we balance the jobs and the careers that we have Right, because are these things as we took a look at last week? These are things that are incredibly important to God, and they're things that he, they're responsibilities He's tasked us with. But how do we balance that and and the relationships that He's also required us to need? Right. If you just think back even to the last series that we did in the beginning of January, Mike did an incredible series on community, the fact that we need to do life with other people. We need to be in community with others. We were never created to be alone, and we're far better when we're together. And so how do you balance those things? If God's very concerned about our work and how we work, but he's also very concerned about the essential relationships in our lives, how do we find balance? And, and if we're honest, if you're honest today, if I'm honest, most of us don't do a, a real good job of finding balance between those two. You see, every single day we make millions of decisions of how we're going to invest our time. The problem is that there really isn't ever enough time to do all of the things that we want to do, is there? And so sometimes we think, well, you know what, maybe it's, it's, it's a scheduling problem. If I just change my schedule, if I get up a little bit earlier in the morning and I stay up later at night, maybe I'll have some more time in there and, and I can try and get more accomplished. But it's really not a scheduling problem. Sometimes we think it's a discipline problem, right? If I will myself, if I push myself harder, right? If I begin to cut things out of my life like sleep and fun, then maybe I'll have more time to, to get things done in there. But it's really, it's not a discipline problem either. One of the big excuses, it's one that I use all the time, is, is, is it's just a busy season, right? This is just, it's just one of those busy seasons and, and eventually it'll level out. Eventually there'll be some balance to it. 
But if we're honest, right, if you look at your life and, and you look at your friends' lives, there really ever, there's never a, a balance to that. It's always busy. And so really the problem isn't, it's not, it's not any of those things. The problem is, is there's too much to do and there's really just not enough time to do it in. If you were to go to work this week and you were to sit down and say, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to spend a few minutes and calculate how much time would it take me to do my job perfectly, right? To get everything done that needs to be done, to make sure that I've contacted all my clients and I make all the phone calls and I work with my staff and all the things that you have to do. If you added that up and calculated it, you'd probably never go home. Right? Because there's always more to do. There's always something that you could do better. There's always another phone call that could be made. There's always a little bit extra that could be done at your job. But if you went home today and you began to sit down maybe with your spouse or you just sat down by yourself and began to evaluate, how much time would it take for me to really invest at home? Right? To invest in my spouse the way that, that he or she needs me to invest in her. To invest into my kids and, and, and really love them both with quality and quantity time and love them the way that they need to be loved. Maybe even to the point where they finally go, dad, 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 I'm done. Just go back to work, right? I'm done playing. It's, it's just too much. How much time would it take? How much time would it need to, to have that margin in our lives to, to bring in those close friends and those people that hold us accountable and challenge us and help us to grow? If we were to do all that, we would probably come up with a, a fact of realizing that there wouldn't be any time to go back to work. So what do we do with that? How do we balance those things? Because both of those things are incredibly important. And what it causes us to do is, is it causes us to cheat in one area or another, doesn't it? It forces us to make decisions like this. As much as I need to do that, instead today I'm, I'm going to do this. Right? Or as, as important as this is, today I'm choosing to go there instead. And so we're forced to cheat. And here's what I mean by cheating. Is it because there isn't enough time to do both the way that we need to and want to do those things, we have to cut corners. We have to cheat on one of those things to make sure that there's enough time to do the other. Now, here's my, here's my prediction. Most of us aren't cheating with our families, right? Most of us, if, if I was to ask who, do, who in your life feels cheated, it's probably not your employer, right? It's probably not your, your business. It's probably not your clients or, or your staff. If you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, it's probably not your children that feel cheated. And so here's the questions. Who are you cheating? What are you cheating? And maybe the most important question is who in your life feels cheated? Who in your life, if you were to sit down with today and would say, you know what, the time that I feel like I deserve, the, the time that I feel belongs to me, just feels like it's going somewhere else. So what happens is that we begin to make deals, don't we? We make deals with God and we say, God, you know how much I love my family. But God, you know what I need to get done at work this week. And so God, here's what I'm asking. I'm going to go to work. Could you just help my family to be a little bit more forgiving? Could you help my family just to be a little bit more understanding so that I can go and do the things that I need to get done at work so that I can provide for them all the things that they want me to provide for them? Let me tell you a little bit about my story because this is personal for me. I've successfully failed at this for a long, long time. A few churches ago, um, I was a student ministry pastor and I was also one of the executive pastors. And so we had the nine to five all during the days, but my nights quickly became filled up with all the things that were happening at the church. And many of them were good things. They were very good things. I, on Monday nights, I was running our middle school ministry, and so I'd often teach there. On Tuesday nights, we had elder meetings and different board meetings. And so most Tuesday nights, I was at the church for some kind of a meeting. On Wednesday nights, I often taught at our children's ministry midweek thing. 
Thursdays, I ran our high school ministry and would teach at that as well. Fridays were high school football games or basketball games or something that involved students most of the time. I would have Saturdays off or parts of Saturdays off to spend with my family, and then Sunday was church, and the whole cycle would start back over again. And I started to cheat on my wife, Laura, with my job. She began to feel neglected and feel lonely. There was a distance that began to grow in our relationship. And so we came up with a a brilliant plan of how to fix this relationship because we had seen so many other people do it before. We thought, you know what, this will fix our relationship. We'll have a baby, right? Because it's a brilliant plan, really. You're dysfunctional. Your wife's dysfunctional. Let's add a third person to that because that's going to fix all of the chaos. And um, so we had Ty. um, and, and, And it was great at first. Because Laura began to really pour into him, and she invested in him, and she began to find purpose in him. And it's really, it's what we had wanted from the very beginning. We wanted her to to really be able to focus in on on that relationship. But eventually, she began to really focus on him, and more and more time went into him. And and she began to kind of deal with the pain that I had created in her life from that distance and from that brokenness by really investing in Ty. And I started to feel neglected, right? And so then I began to dive more into work. And I'd plan more events, and I'd schedule more meetings, and more things would happen on evenings and during the day, and I'd be home less. And all of a sudden, we realized that we were heading in two very different directions. And we came dangerously close to costing everything that mattered to us. If I'm honest, it's something I still struggle with. In fact, last week, um, Doug is my boss, and, and he, uh, he said, you know what, Donnie? He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do one of those time tracking things. You know those things that your boss gives you, and you, every half hour you have to write down um, what you're doing so you can kind of keep track of your time. It's a real confidence builder um, when your boss asks you to, uh, to do that. And so he said, I need you to fill this out. It is, it is good because you get to see where you're wasting time. And so, um, so I filled that out last week. And last week was a crazy week with the launch of small groups, and we had the parent summit. I was teaching a breakout at that, and there was just a lot going on. And so on Monday, when I went to email it to him, and I was thinking about this message, and, I, and I, I was about to send it, and I looked at it, and I was like, man, there's a lot of stuff going on there. And so I began to add up the hours, and last week I put in over 70 hours. Now, that's not a normal week, but as I sat there thinking about it, I was like, how messed up is this? I'm going to stand here and talk to you guys about balancing family and work when I'm coming off one of those 70-hour weeks. And on top of that, we have two small groups. We lead a small group of high school students. We're in a small group. Right, Ty, our son, plays baseball and he trains all through the winter and I help coach some of his teams and so we're involved in that. And so there's all this stuff going on. And I started to think about it and God began to really kind of impress in my heart something that I've began to hear a little bit lately that's causing me some concerns. And I've heard my son a couple times say, hey dad, I I know you're real busy at work and stuff, but do you think you have a little bit of time for us to go to the batting cage? Hey, Dad, I know you're busy. I know you're writing your message for this weekend, but I was just wondering, do you have a little bit of time for us to go outside and maybe just throw the football around? And all of a sudden, the warning signs are going off inside of me, right? Saying something's wrong. There's just not enough time. And so what happens is we begin to make deals with our family as well. We say, hey, if you'd just be a little bit more understanding, right, if you just give me a little bit of grace, this is just one of those busy seasons. I promise it'll get better soon. But here's the problem with that. When we ask our family to be understanding, We communicate to them that you're important, but that is more important. And we say, honey, I I know, I know I wanted to get home early. I I know I told you I would, but there's just these calls that I just, I just have to make. I know there's that trip that we've been wanting to take for a long time. And, and, but you know what? This client really needs me. I just got to finish up there. 
son, I wish I could make it to your game, but I've, just, I've got all these meetings and, and I've rescheduled some of them already. I just can't afford to do it again. And what we say to them is, you're important, but this is more important. If I was to ask you, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that your job is more important than your family? You would say, well, no, Donnie, obviously I don't, I don't believe that. The problem is, is that most of us, our actions tell our family something completely different. That the person on the other end of that phone call, right, the people at the office, the people at the gym, whatever it is, that they're more important because they get your best time. They get most of your time. We've kind of heard that concept before of, of thinking about what things are going to be like when we're on our deathbed, right? In those, those last moments, those last days. And in all those conversations, I've never, ever once heard someone say, man, I really hope on my deathbed in those last moments, I hope my boss is there, right? I, I hope cubicle guy that sits next to me, I hope he's there. And mail, mailroom dude, I hope he shows up. And my accountant, that'd be fantastic. If they're the ones circling me, that would be, we never hear that, right? It's our spouse, it's our kids, it's our grandkids, it's our friends, those chosen few that we've brought into our lives and we've shared the stuff that's personal and, and intimate with us. In Ecclesiastes 4.8, Solomon paints a, a very sad picture of a life wasted. He says this, This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. See, I think it's real easy for us to, to get caught in the trap of, of chasing worldly success and, and miss out on the very thing that God said we needed from the very beginning. In Genesis 2.18, he said, it's not good for man to be alone, so I will make a helper who is just right for him. You see, God isn't against work, but he realized that we weren't complete without those relationships in our lives. God wants us to enjoy success, and I think he wants us to be successful, but not at the expense of our family. Let's not waste those, those relationships in chasing success. Instead, I think we need to, to listen to Solomon's advice and to begin to measure our success more in the relationships that we build than in what we accomplish at our job. And so here's the statement that I want to kind of pitch out to you today, and this is kind of the, the point of, of what we're going to talk about. A statement for us to live by. I will not sacrifice my family for my future, fortune, or fame. I'm, I'm not going to sacrifice my family for my future. I know, I know what you're saying, though, but, but if I just put in a few more hours, right? If I could just climb a little higher on, on the ladder, if I could just get that next promotion, then things would level out. Things would be, would be easier. They'd be better. Really? Do you really believe that it would change when you put in those more hours? You get to that next level that it would be better. I will not sacrifice my family for fortune. If I just made a little bit more, right? If I could just get to this number, then I know I'd be happy. We'd be satisfied as a family. Except we heard in Brad's story that you hit that number and then there's a new number, right? And then a new number and there's never enough. I will not sacrifice my family for fame. But I just want everyone at work, everyone in my field to, to just kind of know who I am. I want to be the best at what I do. Is that, is that wrong? I would say, no, it's not. In fact, that's what Mike talked about last week, is God wants us to do our work with our, with our best effort. He wants us to be successful in that. But at what expense? And see, and if we're honest, quitting our jobs, for, for most of us, that's not an option. Besides, we need you to keep tithing. So, um, 
It's just a pastor tithing joke there. Uh, so how do we begin to find balance? How do we balance these relationships that are essential to us in a job that is very important to us? And so today we're going to take a look um, at, at one story from the life of Daniel. Um, and you can turn there in your Bible if you want. If you, if you don't have your Bible, that's totally cool. Um, we'll put it up on the side screens. And, uh, and you can kind of follow along there. Um, Daniel was born a little over 600 years ago, and, or six, sorry, 600 years before Jesus. Um, the nation of Israel was, was in a little bit of chaos at the time um, when Daniel came along. And uh, this was after King David, after King Solomon. There were some other kings, and, and they kind of, the kingdom became divided. And, and so they were kind of going back and forth. There was a king that would honor God and then dishonor God, and honor God and dishonor God. And it kind of kept going back and forth. And finally, in, in 605 BC, God just said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this. Right? I'm tired of the disobedience and the rebellion and, and the chaos. And so he allowed um, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, right? A Babylon that today in, in, in our maps would be found somewhere in the middle of the Iraqi desert. And he said, I'm going to let King Nebuchadnezzar come in and he's going to conquer Judah. In fact, in verse 2, it says that the Lord gave him victory, which I think is very interesting. That sometimes God does things in our lives to get our attention, right? Sometimes he does difficult things so that he can draw us back to himself. And so Nebuchadnezzar came in and then he took a bunch of stuff and, and it says that he took a bunch of people with him too. And, and so went back to, to Babylon and if you grew up in Sunday school, then you're probably familiar with some of these names. It's four names, uh, four of the people that, that he took with him, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so this is where the story kind of picks up. We're going to pick it up in, in Daniel chapter 1 beginning at verse 3 and it says this. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. So here's the situation. Daniel is, is in a foreign culture, right? Most, most scholars believe that he was somewhere between 13 and, and 17 years old, so he's just a teenager, which is why I love working with teenagers. Most scholars believe the disciples were teenagers as well. And here's what I love about this, that as we read this story, if a teenager gets this, then there's no excuse for us not being able to apply these things to our lives too. Begin, verse four, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The, the message translation says to indoctrinate them in the Babylonian language and the lore of magic and fortune-telling. So here's what would happen. The, the Babylonian nation, when they would conquer another nation, they would take their, the royal family, they would take kind of the, the best young leaders, and they would take them away from that nation. So they would leave that nation crippled, right? They were leaderless, and they were very demoralized and in complete dependence upon Babylon. And so they would take those young leaders, and they would take them back to Babylon, and, and they would remove them from their culture and indoctrinate them in the Babylonian culture. And then sometimes they would take some of those leaders and actually put them back into their home country to begin to lead again. But now they're in complete dependence upon the king. So this isn't Daniel's dream job in any way, right? He's very young. His family is probably dead. He's been taken out of his homeland, marched across two deserts in, into Babylon. Now he's a slave. He's probably been given a different haircut. He's wearing different clothes, different jewelry. They've probably pierced his ear as, as a sign of being a slave. They've changed his name. They're changing his language. They're changing the literature that he has to read. Probably made him take jump rope classes, right? Daniel's job isn't going very well for him. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Let me just talk about the food for just a second. 
is here's what they would do. They would take the food, right? And they would offer it to these king or to their gods and to these idols. And so they would put it in front of them. And, and one commentary said that what they would do is whatever was left over from those idols, which I would imagine would be all of it since they're just statues. They would take that food, right? And they would take it back to the king and they would give it to the king. He would take what he wants and then he would distribute the rest to those that were in his, in his royal court. And so that's what they're talking about here. Now, here's the deal. And this is why this is so significant. When they would take that <clears throat> food and it would go back, when, when you would eat that food, right, what they believed is that the, the idols had empowered that food, that it had given wisdom and strength into that food. And so when you ate it, if you began to rise in the ranks of leadership, right, if you began to receive promotions in your job, what they would say is that, well, the credit goes back to the gods, right? Because the reason that you're rising in leadership, the reason that you're receiving these promotions is because of the strength and the wisdom of the food that you ate, which had been dedicated to those gods. And so here's the dilemma for Daniel. Do I obey the king? And do I eat his food that's been offered to these idols, right? And then in the same time, dishonor God, knowing that I'll live and, and I can just ask God for forgiveness, right? Because chances are God will forgive me for this. Or do I obey God? And turn my back on the king and say no to his food, knowing that it's probably going to cost him his life. What choice would you make? Where do you think you would find the most grace and, and the most forgiveness? Obey God, it's going to equal death. Obey the king, you could probably live another day and work it out in your relationship with God. Daniel had to decide who he was going to be loyal to. He couldn't have it both ways. Both felt like they deserved his full attention. Both felt like they deserved his full respect. And Daniel was placed in this place to make a decision. We pick it up in verse 8. It says this. But Daniel was determined. Now, your version may say resolved or, or made up his mind. Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to the king. You see, finally Daniel said, that's it. Right? I've, I've had enough. You can remove everything Hebrew from me, but you can't remove my commitment to my God. And so Daniel, in, in his teenage mind, says, you know what, you can cut my hair, pierce my ears, make me learn a different language. You can do all those things to me, but I'm not going to turn my back on the relationship that I have with my God. And so he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. And so he goes to his boss, right? The guy that's trained him. And, and he says, you know what? I'd, I'd, like to be, I'd like to be an exception here. I know you've been doing this for years. I know you've sent hundreds of men through this training program. I know it's company policy. It's probably an HR thing. There's manuals. I get all that. Um, but, but here's the deal. I, I want to be special, right? I'd like a pass from this. Imagine the fear that Daniel must have felt going into that conversation. We pick it up at verse 9. Look at the first two words. Now, God. I, I love this. Right? Now. Not before. Right? This is, this is real time. That as a result of Daniel's decision, Daniel made a commitment. I am determined not to defile myself. And so God now responds to that. Now, God. God comes. Right? And God's about to do something. God's rolling up his sleeves. And God's about to do something behind the scenes that is going to be absolutely incredible. So now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. You see, God responded to Daniel's obedience, and now he begins to work behind the scenes on Daniel's behalf. I love that. I love, too, the fact that, that, Daniel, or that God didn't remove Daniel from his situation. 
And sometimes I think we, we think, hey, man, if, if God was to show up, if, if God was to help me in this, he'd, he'd take me out of this. He'd give me a new job or a new career. And, and maybe sometimes that's right. And maybe sometimes God will do that for you. But sometimes God says, you know what? I've placed you here for a very specific reason, for a very specific purpose. There's something that I want to do in and through you in this place. But I love that God showed up in response to Daniel's obedience. And I get that some of us may be thinking, sitting here thinking, you know what, Donnie, that I don't know that God knows where I work then because he doesn't sh- seem to show up there very often. I'd ask you a couple questions. One, have you determined to obey him no matter what? And, and if you have, here's the part that we have to understand is the results might not always be the results that we want to see. But we have to trust that God is always doing what's best behind the scenes, on our behalf, for our family. So verse 9, God had given up the chief of, or sorry, now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Verse 10, but he responded, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered you to eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's just the different names. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. And at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. You see, Daniel had asked for permission, right? He had listened to his boss's response, and then he proposed a test. And then he went all vegan on us. Verse 14, then the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, Daniel said, Daniel, sorry, and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. And so after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for others. God gave these four men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. I love that. Almost every week at our high school small group, I have students that come up and say, hey, I got a test this week. Will you pray for me? From now on, I'm going to say, no, just just go eat a carrot. Um, (laughs) So God gave Daniel this special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. Verse 18, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service, right? God is moving behind the scenes, isn't he? God's doing incredible things here. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. And Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. And all the vegans said, amen, right? I feel like I'm offending all the carnivores in this place. Last week, Mike offended the environmentalists, and maybe this week I'm going to have an angry mob on my front porch with grilling utensils when I get home. So, you know, it's, not an, it's not a food thing, is it? That's not what we're talking about here. Whether we recognize it or not, every single one of us, every single day, we find ourselves in, in the exact same dilemma that Daniel was in. It's not what are we going to eat for us, though. It's, it's how are we going to spend our time? What is going to be the priority of our lives? What is going to get our best, our most attention, our focused attention? And then the rest becomes the parts that we cheat on, right? The parts that we, that we give the best of what is rest. But we have to make that decision. We have to make that choice. We can't have it both ways. 
I will choose not to sacrifice my family for my future or fortune or fame. So let me give you two action steps from from what we see in Daniel's life and then one incredible promise that, that comes from God's word. The first is this, is that we begin to choose to cheat. See, the reality is, is that we're all ready cheating, right? Every single one of us is, is cheating already, but today's the day where we have to draw that line in the sand and say, you know what, today I'm, I'm going to decide like Daniel. It's not a matter of if I'm going to cheat, but it, it's who I'm going to cheat. It's where I'm going to cheat. What I love about Daniel's story is this. Daniel takes this step of faith, and, and, and he doesn't know the outcome. Daniel doesn't know what the results are going to be. Daniel doesn't know if he's even going to survive this physically by, by asking this, this request. And yet he made up his mind. He didn't know the, the how. He didn't know the where. He didn't know the when. But he knew what was most important to him. And I think the temptation that we face is, is this. We, t- we face this temptation to substitute commitment for condition. I will say, well, when I, or if they, then I'll do those things. And, and guys, the truth is that that never works. Daniel 1.8 says that Daniel was determined not to defile himself. Daniel made up his mind. Daniel made a commitment. And that's where it starts for us today. It starts with us making a commitment that before I have the details, before I know how it's going to end, before I know how to even approach this, before I know what the, the fiscal and financial re, re, respond, or, uh, reactions will be, before I know the consequences of how this is going to affect my business, I have to decide that I am not going to cheat on my family anymore. Period. End of story. And then I'll figure out the details afterwards. Imagine this scenario. Imagine you go home and maybe it's not today, maybe you think about it for a little bit, but maybe sometime this week you sit down with your family and you look them all eye to eye as you sit at the table and, and you say, you know, guys, I, I'm sorry, I, I know I haven't been home as, as much as I should be, but guys, I'm, I'm committed to changing that. And to be honest with you, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do yet, but, but I promise you things are going to be different and, and they're going to be different quickly. Because you are more important to me than anyone or anything else in this world. Imagine how powerful a moment that would be for your family. Truth is, is most of us probably already feel that way. But today's the day where maybe we have to wrestle with putting that line in the sand and saying, today I'm going to put feet to it. Today I'm going to commit. If you're single, if you're a, a college student or maybe even a high school student, here's how I would challenge you is, is to look at the family piece in, in, in two different ways. That you look at your family now because you do have family now, right? You have your immediate family and you have your parents, but you also have your friends. Many of you are involved in, in a small group. You've got people that have surrounded you and that you're doing life with. And here's what I would challenge you is, is to, to really begin to, to make sure that the balance is there. And that the balanced time is going to your family and going to your friends. But you also have to keep in mind your family later. Because the sooner that you can put these practices in place, the sooner that you can make these disciplines and habits a reality in your life, the better you're going to be down the road. The harder it's going to, the, it's going to be the hardest for those of us that, that, that are in those relationships that have been doing this and living in this unbalanced condition for a long time. It's going to be very difficult for us to go back and find that balance. I will not sacrifice my family for my future 
or fortune or fame. So we have to choose to cheat. But then the second step is this, is that we need to act in faith, don't we? How do we get from here, where we are today, to there, that place that, that we want to go to, the place that, that we believe that, that God is asking us to be? How do I convince my employer that there's going to need to be some changes in, in how I do my work or, or when I do my work? Uh, there's no recorded prayer in this, right, in, in this passage. God didn't come down and, and speak to Daniel, and, um, but Daniel, he simply just took God at his word, didn't he? He simply believed that, God, if I step in obedience, if I do what I know is right, if I prioritize you, if I prioritize the right things, then I'm trusting that you're going to honor that. I'm trusting that you're going to work behind the scenes. It's one of our values here at Hope is that we live what we learn, right? It's not enough just to hear stuff. We don't want to just be smarter. We want to take these truths from God's word and we want to apply them to our lives and allow them to begin to change us. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't any risk here, Right? And cheating at work has nothing to do with cheating your employer either. Let me be very clear with that. What this is, though, is it's a matter of prioritizing what matters most. And I think we would all agree that, that no job is worth sacrificing the relationships that we have with God and with our family. And so for some of us this week, it's time to start making changes. It's time to start making the games. It's time to start, stop putting off the trip that we've been putting off and, and make it a reality. For some of us, it's time to, to turn off our phones when we walk into our home or to leave our laptops at the office when we, walk out of, when we walk out of there. For some of us, it's time to start scheduling date nights with our spouse and, and with our kids to really engage in our small groups, right, where they can hold us accountable, where we're actually sharing the things that are going on in our lives and, and where growth can happen. For some of us, it's time to, to, to get connected and plugged in and start serving in a ministry where we gain a bigger perspective of, of the needs of others and where we become humbled by the privilege that we have to serve and to meet those needs. Some of you are stay-at-home moms and dads, and, and, and I'll be honest, I think that's probably the, the most difficult job there is in this world. But here's what I would say to you guys, that you have to choose to cheat too. You have to choose to cheat your children, not your spouse. Because the greatest gift that you can give your children is a healthy marriage. In, in many years of student ministry, I absolutely believe this and have seen it time and time again, that your marriage will determine the personal security of your children. And it's far more important than, than them being well-educated, far more important than them being great student athletes, is that they are secure. And that comes from watching your marriage. And what comes out of that is it gives them the confidence and the wisdom to make the right decisions, to choose the right kind of friends, and to begin to form them into those people that will be great husbands and wives and parents down the road. The greatest gift you can give your children is a healthy marriage. And so when you cheat for your family, everyone in your family ends up winning. Daniel had a strategy, didn't he? He, he, he asked for permission, and, and when his, his boss kind of gave some objections to that, he listened to those objections, but then he put a test in place. Daniel came back. He didn't quit there. He said, he said, well, test me with this. And so here's my challenge to you, is will you give God 30 days? Will you say, God, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to prioritize my family. I'm going to put things back into perspective and back into the balance that I believe that it should be in. And God, here's what I'm asking you to do. If I put my family first and I give them the very best of my time, and then take what is left over and I'm, gonna, and I'm gonna give my very best at work. God, will you fill in the gaps at work? God, will you fill those needs there? Because I think what happens is too often, most of us, we say, God, I'm gonna give my best at work and will you fill in the gaps with my family? 
But what if we reversed that today? And I know that that may take some sacrifice. And I know that that may take some tough conversations with your employer. And I know that the market is tough and I know the economy is tough. I know some of you have put in a lot of time at your job and, and this, this may cost you that next step. But here's what I know is true in the end. We will absolutely regret missing time with our family more than we will regret missing time at work. And that's why we said this is a, it's an act in faith piece, right? Trusting God to work behind the scenes. I will not sacrifice my family for my future or fortune or fame. Here's the last part. It's a promise. God blesses obedience. God always blesses obedience. The only way to experience all that God has for us is to walk in complete obedience with him. James 1.25 says this, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Here's what I know. If I live in complete dependence on the God who made me and Jesus who saves me and the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me, that I can trust him completely to step in obedience, that he will work behind the scenes and do not only what I can't do, but he will do it far better than I could have ever done it on my own. And when you finally decide to order your family and to order your life and to order your marriage in the way that God has called you to order those things, you have no idea what God is capable and willing to do in the arena of your career if you just give him the space to move. Let me close with these two questions for you. First question is this, are you willing to say today, I will not sacrifice my family for my future or fortune or fame? And the second question is this, what is your plan then to make it happen? Let's pray. Father, we, um, we bow in your presence and, and God, we just thank you. We thank you that you love us so much that you're actively involved in our lives. God, that, that you have called us to work, that Father, you created us to, to, um, to pursue jobs and to work at jobs and to use the gifts and talents and abilities you've given us to make an impact in this world. And God, we, we take that seriously. But Father, you've also called us to, to need significant relationships. Father, you, you, we know that that is an absolute priority to you. And so, Father, will you help us to begin to find the balance? Father, will you help us to figure out where we're cheating right now and, and for many of us to begin to, to reverse that? And Father, to begin to cheat on the other side, to put our families first, to put those significant relationships first. And then, God, give our very best to the jobs and the careers that we have, but recognizing what's most important to you and, and for us. And God, I pray for those today that, that will step out in courage, and trust you with this and begin to make those changes and begin to make those adjustments. God, will you go before them? And just like Daniel, as they take those steps of obedience, will you be at work behind the scenes? Because obedience always brings blessing. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Help us to be different this week and impact those around us. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.